Equity recognizes that each person has different circumstances and allocates the exact resources and opportunities needed to reach an equal outcome. Well, I was at my fourth college. Yes, my fourth. I was in an interview at my major. This time it was different. I knew God had given me a specific word, that God had actually given others a specific word. I was called to be in ministry. But I had no idea what that was supposed to look like. I had no idea how that I was supposed to live that out. See, I'd just gotten done with an internship at my home church and I was entrusted to lead and to help. And the situation in general was awkward and hard. See, I grew up at that church. I knew quite a bit about the system of that church. And by the end of the internship, the only thing I was hanging on to was the fact that God had called me and that he affirmed it in ways that only God could. Anyway, I was now sitting in an interview for the youth ministry and adolescent studies major at Judson University. And before the interview, I had to fill out an application sharing about my call, my faith journey, and about what kind of leader I was. And for the first time, I had no answer. What kind of leader was I? See, I thought I was a leader. I'd been told that for years, or at least people showed me that by putting me in charge of things. I was captains of the teams I was on. I was class president. I was club presidents. I was a worship leader in our youth ministry. I was a small group leader in our youth ministry. But now I was sitting at my fourth college in an interview for my major, and I had no idea how to answer that question. Because the truth was I was hurt and I was wounded. The truth was I found out at that internship that not everyone has a seat at the table. Not everyone's opinion mattered. At least that's what it felt like. Well, I ended up getting accepted into that major and within a few months, God began to answer some of the longings and losses I had in my life. And those answers came from the book of Acts. Acts 2, 42 through 47, actually. See, I'd read the book of Acts, but for the first time, maybe you can relate to this, where you read scripture and you read the same things maybe over and over again, but for the first time, you've noticed something different. Well, Acts 2, 42 through 47 says, it'll be on the screens. They committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together, the com common meal, and the prayers. Everyone around was in awe. All those wonders and signs done through the apostles and all the believers lived in wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned and pooled their resources so that each person's need was met. They followed the daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home, every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful. As they praised God, people in general liked what they saw. Every day their number grew as God added to those who were saved. See, I love this passage. I read it and God couldn't have answered a greater need in me in that moment because it gave me hope that maybe my voice mattered, that maybe we could all live in community and love each other and that equity could happen. 
See, I love the passage and I love how it invites us into the circle of love. I love the passage and I love how it invites us into a community based on generosity. I love that their meetings were communal and full of praise and worship. I love that they broke bread together, literally physically eating a meal or breaking God's body together in communion. I loved that. I love that they sacrificed together. I love that they had signs and wonders in the midst of them. I love that they became the extended circle of love. I love that everyone had an equal part at that table and it wasn't gonna happen unless they all chose in. I loved it. Because in the king's economy, there's an invitation for together. Since reading the Acts 2 passage, I've realized that God's original plan and intention was that the table was for all to sit at. But sin affected that table and the reality and the intentions of that table. God created so that all of us could sit together. Okay, so now here's the deal. Some of you might be thinking, oh my goodness, she's about to go universalist on us. Don't worry, I'm actually not about to go that way. But if we think about pre-fall, The table was meant for every creation. It was meant for God's heart to be known. So when God created, there wasn't a class system. There wasn't a socioeconomic difference. There wasn't those that were able and those that were unable. There wasn't confusion in the system. There wasn't questions about sexuality that then drew a line in the sand. There wasn't racism. There wasn't pain. There was humanity. There was the Trinity and we were all image bearers. We are all image bearers. But then the fall happened and that sneaky snake came and he made everything horrible. And our understanding of love changed. It became self-seeking, it became impatient, it became rude, it became offended, it became hurtful, it became hateful, it became prideful, it became painful. That's a lot of fulls that are not joyful or loveful. It became full of judgment and it brought so much confusion to us. It became a love that blamed or a love that blamed. It became something that gave up and something that we focused on the differences instead of the things that were similar. So I've had a few people in my ministry story that have said to me, yep, and that's how it's gonna be while we're on earth. We're destined for that reality until eternity. And I get that. Earth's not perfect. We are not perfect people, so automatically Earth's not going to be a perfect place. But the truth is, we're not supposed to live hopeless and apathetic. It's actually not our destiny or calling. We are called to be restorers of the kingdom of God. We are called to be restorers of a pre-fall kingdom of God. So church family, I need to confess some things to you today. I've been in a hard season and in this last season, I've struggled with the church quite a bit. Not just third, the church general. The Lord and I have had quite a few conversations about it. See, I've watched hate, I've watched judgment, I've watched confusion, I've watched finger pointing, I've watched lines drawn in the sand which made more and more seats come away from the table. I've watched people look at other people that they used to love and say, actually, I can't anymore because of this or because of that. And my heart began to break more and more as I realized that 
Jesus, were we ever going to be Acts 2, 42 through 47? Is that possible for us? How is that ever going to happen? Well, the truth was, as I was watching all the things happen and wondering what was going on and asking the Lord questions, my sadness actually ended up growing into bitterness. It ended up growing into judgment. And my judgment, which turned into bitterness, then turned into a critical spirit. And then I sat there with even more questions. How did I get here, Lord? How did we all get here? See, I love to live in utopia land. The kingdom of God, utopia land. You can ask my husband. Like, I have these like, big ideas of what heaven will be like. And I want us all to just get along. And I know that maybe sounds very like... Uh, Miss America, like, oh, just peace on earth. That would be great. But the truth is, I actually love that. I actually believe in that. Like, I want us all to live in unity. I believe that if we all really love Jesus and went after Jesus and followed Jesus's ways, that maybe that could actually happen. But this last year, as it progressed, I wondered if it could happen. How could the American church change? How could we look more like Jesus in the state we were in? You know what the answer was? I, by myself, couldn't do that. But together we could. See, together we have the opportunity to look like the Trinity. So I'm gonna show you a picture that we have looked at quite a bit in the circle of love, which is Rublov's painting of the Trinity. And at different points the last two years, we've looked at this painting and have wondered together. How do they all sit at a circular table? How are they all submitting to one another? How are they celebrating how the other is created? How are they all one? Because see, at any point, they could have said, actually, Jesus, uh, you're fully human too. You're out. Or Holy Spirit... Um, sometimes the things you do make me uncomfortable, you're out. Or God the Father, your heart might just be a little too big for your creation, you're out. But together, they're God. And together, they're one. See, we get to bring people to the table and they get to experience God's extravagant love. God loves when we walk in togetherness because we embody the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When I read the Acts passage, that is what I think of. People being, being brought back to the table and falling in love with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together. Not being invited to the table because they have money not being invited to the table because they have the right ability, not being invited to the table because they think the exact way we do or dress the exact way we do or live the exact way we do. They love because Jesus is transforming them. And so they all come to the table saying, Jesus, come Lord Jesus, come help us love like you. Help us look like you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. See, the love table allows for more people to come instead of setting limits. So I've been reading this book recently called The Common Rule, and it's by Justin Early, and he says it this way. He says that the virtue of the Trinity is that it creates more love. 
and that the fire of friendship grows and includes in such a way that it allows love to spread. So the table no longer becomes a place for even just four people. The table gets brought down, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Whoa, buddy, that's heavy. Um, Good thing we're not dropping it. Okay, move feet out of the way. There we go. And the table is now for everyone. And the table now becomes inclusive. Okay, so here's the other thing. As the Lord's been working on my heart, he began to point out to me and he convicted me, why don't you start confessing? And a really like, God is so kind when he convicts, you know, kind of way. And he said, why don't you start confessing every time that you are in judgment? Um, can I just say, whoa? I was so taken back by the heart, my heart in those moments. There were days where I couldn't even go 10 minutes without having a judgment come into my mind. And the Lord started saying, okay, so what is happening? Like, let's work on what's going on in you. Where is that coming from in you? So one of the ways that he showed me more of who he is, is through this wonderful series called The Chosen. Now, it's probably no secret because probably every single time I'm up here, I'm talking about The Chosen. So I love The Chosen. And it's because we begin to see Jesus face to face. We begin to see what Jesus moves and acts and how his heart relates. We begin to see Jesus in ways that we probably never did. Now, let me make a caveat because there, there is pushback on The Chosen. So The Chosen, I think, is a beautiful depiction of Jesus. The Chosen uses historical documentation and it uses other credible sources to fill in the gaps. So yes, it is not everything you read in scripture. You cannot take an episode of The Chosen and be like, in Luke 8, and then read it word for word, but it fills in Jesus. It fills in our perspectives a little differently. So I would like us to do a Visio Divina together. What this means is that we are gonna watch a clip and if I'm honest, it's a, pretty lengthy, it's a pretty lengthy clip. And we're gonna wonder together. We're gonna watch and feel, what are we thinking? What are the emotions coming up? What are we realizing about who God is through Jesus? So the clip we're gonna watch is from season one and it's episode two. And the episode was about a normal weekly tradition called Shabbat. It would be like all of us gathering together and starting our Sabbath together. And we would spend time together. And we would celebrate and remember God together. And that God is our creator and we're his created. So the questions that I want you to reflect on are, what do you see? What do you hear? And what do you wonder about? And then we'll come together and talk in little groups together. Will you take a look? All right, what are some of the things that you saw, heard, or wondered about? Jesus sitting at Elijah's seat. Jesus sitting at Elijah's seat. Man, that moment just chokes me up. Like the prophetic piece of that. Yes, that's great, Brett. Thank you. For, thanks for starting us, man. Appreciate it. Anything else? What did you see, wonder, or hear? The humanity of Jesus. The humanity of Jesus. Yeah. I love that. 
man, he comes alive. So the very next episode is Jesus, it's like my favorite. It's Jesus with the little children and you see Jesus brush his teeth. Who knew? (laughs) I'm being serious, who knew? I really didn't know that. I think I just always assumed he had like pearly whites and anyways, yeah. Anything else? What did you see, hear, or wonder about? Yeah. That's beautiful, Tab. Yeah, that Mary is so welcoming of unexpected guests. So much so, it's like, yes, you're here. And, and if I do something wrong, will you tell me? Like, yes. How beautiful. Yeah, why didn't she invite Jesus right in? I would give you a spoiler if I told you the episode before. It's a pretty significant encounter she has. So, if you haven't seen it, episode one, drop, like this is the drop in after episode one. So there is a significant thing that happens in episode one that makes her in awe in that moment. I was thinking about that as we were just watching it and I was like, I probably should have explained that. But then I'd have to say, spoiler alert, cover your ears if you haven't seen it. And anyways, so yes, no, that's a great point. Did you catch all the different tables? One table which again, we're dropping in. So one table, there's a son that's disowned. So he's peering through the window, ready to bring food. There's another table where all the religious elite are at. Did you catch the line? Make sure you get a seat at the head of the table. Whoa, buddy. And then there's another table where there's a couple and a brother. And again, we're dropping into the story, but if you are watching the rest of it, you can cut the tension at that table with a knife. And then there's this final table where Jesus finds himself at. See, each table actually has its own rules, its own regulations. It has its own social dynamics, its own tension. It has different understandings of God and what God's up to and doing in that moment. But there is one table that sticks out the most, which would be Sunday school answer. Oh, okay. So that means Jesus... Let's try it again. Sunday school answer. Come on, that's good. All right. It's the obvious one. See, Jesus' table, he is there to love, cherish, and allow for others to be. Jesus doesn't fight for position. Although he's sitting in Elijah's seat, he's actually placed in Elijah's seat. He doesn't walk in knowing that that's Elijah's seat, being like, I'm your guy, let me do that for you, and sits down. He doesn't take charge. He sits, he listens, he honors Mary in the moment and blesses her to lead. He asks good questions. So friends as I, and family, as I shared with you earlier, I've been in a rough place. But the thing I've realized is that the state of my heart actually impacts whether or not the king's economy can even happen on earth. Am I spending time tucked away with God? Am I spending time listening and hearing from God? Am I reading about Jesus? Am I paying attention to how Jesus acts, interacts, lives, and loves? Am I choosing to focus on things above and not on earthly things? Am I checking my offense meter? Am I loving like 1 Corinthians 13 describes? See, all of these things can affect the king's economy. All of these things can affect how I live and love. It can affect how I see people, how I see myself. It can affect whether or not people see Jesus. 
So the last eight weeks I've been in the book of Luke. I know that because I'm reading one chapter. If you're like, wow, that's very specific. I'm reading one chapter a week. And my hope and goal is that by the day I start to the day I end that week, that I have a different understanding of that text. So this last week, I just ended Luke 7. And Luke is a really interesting book. So Luke was a travel companion to Paul. He was not a disciple. He was a doctor and had wealth and schooling. Luke wrote the book of Luke and Acts. The book of Luke was and talks a lot and looks a lot at the humanity of Jesus. It draws people into the mercy of Jesus and the revelation that God's plan has always been to be in relationship with his creation. The book of Luke was written as a book for everyone. So this past Wednesday, I was reading Luke 7. It was my... this won't be shocking to my husband, but I like start on Thursday, the next chapter. I have this thing, even when I set my alarms, that it's like 7.13, because I convinced my mind that it's three more minutes than 7.10, and it's not as far as 7.15, so then I don't feel guilty for sleeping in, all those different things. So I started on a Thursday, and on Wednesday was my last day. And there's a lot happening in Luke 7, let me tell you. Jesus heals, he brings two people back to life, he talks to John the Baptist's disciples, and then he shares about another table. But this table involves him and the disciples. And at this table, the disciples are mad by who Jesus is letting into the table. See, in the middle of their meeting, their time with Jesus that they held so precious and true, this woman walks in with a bottle of perfume, And she breaks it. And she's weeping. Joy is overcoming her because this man could change everything for her. So she comes and breaks a perfume. Her eyes are washing his feet. She's anointing his head and his feet. She's drying his feet with her hair. And the disciples are mad. And they look at Jesus at one point and say, Why would you let this happen? Tell her to leave. She shouldn't be a part of this meeting. And you know what Jesus said? He said, you didn't even welcome me into your home with a customary kiss of greeting. But from the moment I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't take the time to anoint my head with fragrant oil, but she anointed my head and feet with the finest perfume. She has been forgiven of all the many sins. This is why she has shown me such great love. But those who assume they have little to be forgiven will love me very little. So my question today for us, family, is do we love like the woman? Or do we love like the disciples? See, if we love like the woman, then our love is extravagant. It's extravagant for our savior. It's extravagant and it looks like our saviors. If we love like the disciples, then the chairs start being removed quickly. At Jesus' table, he is choosing to be loved by the one that the rest of the world would judge and say, you have no reason to be here. At Jesus' table, he takes the time to listen. And at Jesus' table, he shares truth. Those of us who assume that we have it right, well, let's finish the verse. Those of us that assume that we will be forgiven for little will love Jesus very little.
So today I leave us with two questions. Before we enter into worship, what kind of love do you possess? Or maybe I should ask, what kind of love possesses you? Will you worship with me?